And, uh, and then I realized, wow, it's been me that's been delinquent, not all of them, right? Because uh, I haven't been here for a month, and uh, uh, it's great to be back. We uh, had a great vacation and all of that, but uh, it's great to be back. I want to uh, invite you to think again uh, from Proverbs. We've been studying together from the book of Proverbs, and uh, this morning I just want to remind us a little bit that, um, you know, when God originally made us, he made us to be like himself right? We were made in his image and his likeness. He made us to be like himself. Can you imagine if this world was filled with people who were like God? Imagine if the whole world was filled with people who thought like God and who acted like God, especially towards uh, one another. Uh, one of the, you know, there's a lot of different descriptions of the way God is in the Bible so that we're not left in the dark. And uh, one of the descriptions, or one of my favorite ones, says this, God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. What a description. Imagine that you and I were created to be like that. Full of grace, compassion, slow to anger, and abounding in love. God is a life-giving God. At the beginning, he breathed his life into us, and even now, he sends his spirit to come and to live within us. He's a life-giving God. And all, all along this year, we've been trying to say, listen, you are never more like God than when you are doing life-giving living. Life-giving living. That the life of God not just comes to us, but goes through us and uh, goes on to other people. God is a life-giving God. And so it's not surprising when we come to Proverbs, and we've been studying this all summer, uh, that uh, these characteristics of God come out in, in a theme through the book of Proverbs about how God is compassionate toward the poor and toward the marginalized and towards those without social uh, power. And so this morning, I'd like to invite you to just think with me a little bit about this. God's people, uh, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, are called to have a heart for the disadvantaged. And uh, you might... Um, uh, think with me, we can start way back in um, Deuteronomy, but uh, in Deuteronomy, uh, way back in chapter 4 of Deuteronomy, God's preparing his people to, to go and, and live in their new, uh, you know, Israel. And uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 5, uh, God says this, he says, see, I, 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 Moses is saying to these, I, I've taught you these decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me so that you can follow them in the land that you're entering into to take possession of. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and your understanding to the nations around you. What was God's purpose in carving out for himself a special people that he was going to lead and that he was going to teach and that he was going to empower? And it was so that they could be an example to all the nations and the peoples around them. And uh Show your wisdom, your understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and they're going to say, surely this great nation is wise and understanding. God said, I'm going to create a nation and all the other nations are going to recognize the superior quality of these people. And they're going to be drawn to me because I'm going to be the source of their wisdom and of their understanding and of their living. And uh, he says, surely uh, this great nation will be wise and understanding. Uh, what other nation is so great as to have their God so near? Uh, the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him. And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws that I'm setting before you today? In other words, God said, I'm going to create a nation and all the other nations are going to look at that nation and recognize that I'm behind it. 
I would say to you today, if you're here and, and you have trouble believing that the Bible is God's truth, I would say, just look at the nation of Israel. There's never been a nation like the nation of Israel, even up to today. Uh, it's a mirac miracle that Israel even exists today. And uh, if you study that all through the scriptures, you'll see that God intends, even today, Israel to be an example that you, you can use to trust him and to trust his word because he's been faithful to those people. And then if you just turn to um, chapter 10 and verse 15, in Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 15, here's, uh, here's kind of a continuation. Again, this is the kind of God and this is the kind of people that God has kind of called out of the world who will be an example of his existence. Uh, the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and he loved them, verse 15, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the other nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and don't be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is a God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him. Hold fast to him. Take your oaths in his name. He is your praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders that you saw with your own eyes. What kind of God is calling the people to be like him? A God who's full of grace and compassionate, slow to anger, loves the fatherless, uh, aligns himself with those who are marginalized by the society in which we live. Now, of course, in the Old Testament, God's people were a nation. In the New Testament, God's people are spread out into all the nations. But the principle is still the same. Uh, we are to be God's uh, people who reflect into our world God's superior ways, God's sacrificial ways, God's loving and grace-filled ways. And uh, our ultimate reality, if the gospel is really our ultimate reality, if our uh, focus is on the cross and our identity is in the cross and the cross is the place where we and God come together and where we find our spiritual life, then our living will be graceful and sacrificial for the sake of the people around us, even as God was sacrificial and graceful toward us. It's in loving our neighbor the way that God loves us. Who was ever poorer than us standing before the justice of a holy, holy, holy God? Who could ever say to one of us, why don't you just pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and make it with God? We were the poorest of the poor until the Lord Jesus came down and rescued us and gave us grace and sacrificed his life in order that we might become rich, as the Apostle Paul says, in order that we might gain an inheritance, not only in this life, but in the life to come. And the riches of God's grace have been poured out on us. Without God's grace, without his compassion, without God's sacrifice and inconvenience, we would be eternally condemned to poverty and to hell. We're totally dependent on the rescue of God coming to us in our poverty and lifting us into his presence. God's a defender of the poor. He draws close to the brokenhearted. 
Uh, in the New Testament, if we take those Deuteronomy Old Testament kind of concepts and transport them into the New Testament, uh, a number of passages like Luke chapter 10 where Jesus tells the rather famous story of the, the Good Samaritan and how he would have us, you know, come upon those who are victims of thieves and minister to their needs and come alongside of them. Everybody's familiar with Luke chapter 10 or in James chapter 2 where uh, James reminds us, listen, it's a sin to show favoritism. The fact of the matter is there are rich and poor people everywhere in the world. Some who have more than others. That's just a fact of life. And uh, in James chapter 2, he says, boy, if the church just focuses on those who can do something for them instead of being like my people and going and doing something for others, what a sin that is and how God takes it personally. Another place I think that talks about this same principle is in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and... Um, Verse 17 says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share, and in this way they will lay up treasures for themselves, a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that's really life. I love that phrase. The life that's really life. Isn't that what everybody's looking for? How do you take hold of the life that's really life? Well, the life that's really life is God's life. The life that's really life is eternal life. The life that's really life is the life that's going to last all the way into heaven. How do we take hold of the life that's really life, the life that everybody's really looking for? And am I living that life? It's a life that's marked by the same life-giving living that we experience from our God. And so our heart attitude matters to God. So in Proverbs, if you have your Bibles open to Proverbs, I uh, want to just run through a couple of uh, places. This is a kind of a theme that runs through Proverbs, but I just want to show how much God aligns himself with the marginalized in our society or in any society. And in Proverbs chapter 14 and uh, verse 3, might be a good place to start. Proverbs 14, uh, I'm sorry, Proverbs uh, 14 verse 13. Uh, verse 31. Calm down, Dave. Wow, you really get out of practice here. Here it is, verse 31. He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. God takes this personally. He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. God takes this personally. Uh, chapter 17 and verse 5, just the next page. He who mocks the poor shows contempt for their maker. Whoever gloats over disaster will not go unpunished. He who tries to build themselves up by stepping on the poor. You know, God aligns himself with the underprivileged. And God expects us to share our hearts, share his heart uh, for the poor. And to do less is to show contempt for God. Proverbs 22.2 says this, Rich and poor have this in common. Here's what we all have in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. The same God who made you made the next person. God is the maker of all people. 
and God aligns himself. You know, um, I think when you think about this, like any father who has children, some who are perhaps more gifted than others, anybody who has more than one child in their family will understand that children are different, have different abilities, talents, emotional capacity, intellectual capacity, and so on. But a father loves them all. This is what the rich and the poor have in common. They have the same maker. And God takes it personally how we respond to the people around us, either rich or poor. And uh, in chapter 19, verse 17, again, uh, Proverbs, you know, as we hop around because there's these themes that run through it. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he, the Lord, will reward him for what he's done. He who's kind to the poor, it's like God is saying, look, if you give to the poor, it's like you're loaning to me, and I'll repay you. Don't worry about it. I got it covered. That's how God feels about it. When we extend ourselves to embrace the marginalized, you know, just how closely God aligns himself with the underprivileged or with the destitute and so forth. Um, God's like, here, I'll cover it. You might remember, of course, in Matthew chapter 25 in the New Testament, Jesus tells us uh, with assurance that he's coming back. And when he comes back, there's going to be kind of an accounting, kind of a judgment. And uh, you remember here again, Jesus aligns himself with the poor. He says, you know, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. And the people are like, when did we ever see you hungry? He says, oh, no, in as much as you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers, you were doing it for me. I understand that. God's people representing God's heart to the world in which we live. You know, uh, I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked. I was sick. I was in prison. Whatever you do for one of the least of these. You know, Proverbs 14, again, uh, verse 21. He who despises his neighbor sins, but blessed is he who's kind to the needy. God sees and God aligns himself. And, uh, you know, to mock or to despise the poor is a sin of great offense. And uh, on the other hand, in Proverbs 28, again, these principles that uh, God reveals, it's kind of a theme, 28, 27. Uh, here, uh, notice how the Lord says, He who gives to the poor will lack nothing, but he who closes his eyes to them receives many curses. So God's watching us. And uh, those of us who have our eyes open and we see the different needs that people, that God brings into our life, if we turn a blind eye, if we're just kind of selfish and we're like, hey, I got my own problems, I got my own life to live, I can't be involved, you know, I don't represent a God who has infinite resources of grace and compassion and love and all the rest, I can't get involved. I'm just going to turn a blind eye, I'm just going to pretend I don't see. God says, oh, I don't do that. I align myself. I watch. I see what's going on. You know, to close our eyes, to shrink from our responsibility is to show, I think, that we've never really met the God who is ultimately gracious and compassionate and abounding in love. The God that we're called to represent to the world. The God that we're called to be like. You know, again, in Matthew chapter 25, on the other side of this equation, Jesus says that the people who turned a blind eye you know, uh, I was hungry and you didn't give me anything to eat. Or I was a stranger and you, you didn't pay any attention to me. I was in prison and you didn't visit me. I was sick and you didn't, you know, minister to my needs. I was naked and you, you didn't give me any clothes. Jesus says this, depart from me. 
depart from me into eternal fire. I mean, it's such a serious thing. Because God has adopted us to be his kids and called us to represent him to the world in which we live. And to turn away from and to ignore what God calls us to do. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, you know, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, though he was rich, uh, Philippians, you know, he was equal with God, emptied himself, humbled himself, became a servant, went to the cross, died an ugly death. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now, I know there's always a debate. There's always a debate. People who um, have more always accuse people who have less of being lazy, right? If you would just be like me and work hard, you could be fine. That's kind of the American way of uh, dealing with some of this. And then uh, other people, uh, people who, you know, have less, look at the people who have more, and they accuse those people of being hard-hearted and careless and unwilling to share and, and have compassion and so on and so forth. And our American affluence in the context of world hunger often raises this debate to international levels. And there are many voices that have lots of opinions, and you can usually hear this in any kind of newscast. So I thought it was very interesting. If you study Proverbs a little bit deeper, there are actually three different kinds of poor or poverty that are mentioned in Proverbs using three different Hebrew words, which we would never get the sense you know, from um, just uh, reading in the English, which is why I support NEST as such a great, you know, to have courses that delve in, in depth into contemporary issues like science and scripture or prophecy and what's happening. I think 2011 is going to be a very interesting year. It's the end of the Mayan calendar. I think there's going to be a lot of, you know, speculation about a lot of things and how great it would be to be grounded in the scriptures and prepare ourselves to be a witness to the people around us. Say, look, I know what's going to happen. The God of the universe wrote the scriptures and he's revealed to us what's going to happen in the future. And we have a benchmark by which we can evaluate, you know, all the things that will come our way. But in Proverbs chapter 3, there's different kinds of poverty and, and these three different kinds of poverty uh, have different lessons that we're to learn from the book of Proverbs. And so uh, if you're in Proverbs 14, for example, I, I think you could say that there's one uh, level of poverty or one kind of poverty poverty that you might just call circumstantial poverty, circumstantially poor. In uh, chapter 14 and verse 20, uh, there's a word that's used that's different than other places. It says, the poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. Is that true? I mean, I think that's just an observation. And it's, it's a fact of life. There are poor and there are rich people, and a lot of times uh, people are just interested in having friends who are you know, who can do something for them instead of looking for who they could do something for. And so the next lesson comes, you know, he who despises his neighbor sins. Listen, whoever your neighbor is, whether they're rich or poor, you ought to befriend them because that's what God who made them both would do. And you represent him. Uh, blessed is he who's kind to the needy. So just think about your neighborhood. Uh, maybe there's one neighbor, uh, every once in a while, you know, drive around a neighborhood and I'll just notice that somebody's yard is just totally unkept, you know? And at first my reaction is, oh man, this is, this is not good. It's bringing my property value down, da 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 Always, if you investigate, somebody died and the widow can't maintain the house. 
some kind of tragedy happened, it was an accident or something, and, you know, and, and instead of shunning that particular person, here's an opportunity to be like God and to move into that person's life and to offer grace and compassion and, and to move uh, on behalf of our God and let people know how much he cares about them and so forth. So if we kind of evaluate our friendships and ask, you know, do we have both rich and poor friends? Do we have, in the, in the context of our friendships, are we reaching out to those whom God would have us show compassion? That's one kind of, I call it circumstantial poor. 22-22 in Proverbs, again, uh, uses this same word. 22-22. Uh, don't exploit the poor because they're poor. I think you see examples of this in the news all the time. You know, there are certain kinds of justice that happen for the rich and certain kind of justice that happens for the poor. I think, you know, we turn a blind eye a lot of times, but don't exploit the poor because they're poor. And don't crush the needy in court. Again, I, you know, I think we could all come up with examples of this. For the Lord will take up their case and will plunder those who plunder them. I mean, God is serious about this. This is a theme that just keeps running over with these different kinds of... So I would call these people circumstantially poor. There are thieves, right, that create poverty. There are accidents. There are deaths that create widows and orphans. There are diseases. There are false belief systems that people are born into. I call it circumstantial poor. The second word or the second kind of poverty that's talked about in Proverbs is called, I would call it the lazy poor. There is such a category as the lazy poor. Back in chapter 14, again, where we have different words, uh, Hebrew words being used. In chapter 14 and verse 23, uh, notice this. uh, All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. This is a different kind of word. It's a different Hebrew word. This kind of poverty comes from not being willing to work. That's a whole different animal, whole different issue, whole different way of responding. There are a lot of different lessons that come out of Proverbs that are related to uh, the lazy poor. In chapter 6, for example, um, in verse 10 and 11 of chapter 6 in Proverbs, uh, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit. You know, just be lazy, just chill out, you know, and uh, don't do anything, and poverty will find you. Uh, Chapter 11 and verse 24. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. You ever notice that? Some people are generous, and it's kind of like God realizes he can trust them, and he entrusts them with more. Some people, right? Uh, 11.24. One man gives freely, gains even more. Another withholds unduly and comes to poverty. Another person becomes selfish, just doesn't turns a blind eye to the poor and doesn't share their resources and so forth, and they become poverty-stricken. And again, this is the same word that's used for what I would call uh, lazy. Uh, chapter 21 of Proverbs. In chapter 21, in verse 5, uh, the plans of the diligent lead to a profit, surely as haste leads to poverty. Uh, not thinking... I think this is a a lesson that instructs people to kind of think things through rather than just acting on impulse. Uh, Look at verse 17 in this uh, passage, uh, Proverbs 21. Uh, He who loves pleasure will become poor. 
He who loves pleasure, if that's your goal in life, it's kind of your idol, it's just like, I just want to chill out, I just want to be able to be free, you know, and so forth. And, and whoever loves wine and oil will never be rich. I just want to feel good. This is on the category of lazy poor. And there are different instructions in Proverbs for uh, these kinds of things. It seems like, you know, this is a warning against being unwise and being undisciplined. Lazy people need counsel more than handouts, according to the book of Proverbs. And then there's a third kind of poverty with a third uh, word even. And uh, this, I would say, is kind of like the destitute poor. The destitute poor. And um, uh, chapter 13 of Proverbs, 13.23. This is, uh, again, a different word, third word. Um, listen to this. A poor man's field may produce abundant food, but injustice sweeps it away. A poor man might have, you know, enough to work his farm and feed his family, but the system that he lives under, the regime, the communism, you can think of some of these regimes in the Middle East and so forth that are in the news lately. And those people can work hard, but the injustice of the systems into which they were born sweep away their ability to make a living. I call it the destitute poor. It's a third kind of poverty. Uh, chapter 18 and verse 23 Again, this is a different kind of uh, issue. Uh, a poor man pleads for mercy, but a rich man answers harshly. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Uh, there is a friend. And, you know, when we encounter people who are in need of mercy, our God is a God of mercy. You and I are the recipients of his mercy. And to be able to pass on that mercy to, to people who are in destitute situations... Uh, chapter 28 and verse 3. Again, uh, I know this is uh, tedious to kind of go through this, but uh, a ruler who oppresses the poor is like a driving rain that leaves no crops. Think of Libya today. Think of the people and they rebel. And think of their leader. And think of some of the systems, the oppression that people uh, live under in um, you know, when I was in uh, seminary, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the years that uh, I was in seminary, a friend of mine who pastors a church in the south called up and asked if Barb and I would come and pastor his church for the summer, to which we said, sure. And so off we went down uh, uh, south, and uh, we got into this church, and uh, he left. And uh, Barb and I were absolutely stunned by the way, the white people in this church talked about the black people that they had working for them. I mean, we had never been exposed to that kind of oppression. And it just wasn't right, and it wasn't biblical, and we were in the context of a church. But the people couldn't make the connection that these were people created by God, whom God loves as much as he loves anybody else. And there are people who are born into these regimes and into these systems who are the destitute poor. There are people who keep people poor in order that they can stay in power in some of the countries in the world in which we live. And we could just go on and on here. There are many different um, uh, facets to this. So, but let me just conclude with this. How do we expand our hearts so that they become more like the heart of God? How do we develop a heart that's full of grace and compassion, slow to anger, and abounding in love. How do you go about doing that? And I'll make just a couple of suggestions. First of all, I want to say, 
You know, we need to ask ourselves, do I really believe the gospel? Do I really believe that Jesus, who was infinitely rich, emptied himself, humbled himself, and became poor so that I could be super rich in all that God has given to me? Is the gospel the core of my identity? Is that where I connect with my reality? Is that the real world? Is that the life that's really life to me? And once the gospel becomes my identity, then I have to kind of ask myself, well, do I love God more than anybody else because of what he's done for me? Do I respond by loving him back? The first command in the Bible is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Do I do that? Is God the most important person in my life? And then, of course, love your neighbor as yourself. Do I love God so much that I want everybody I know to know him? And you might then just ask yourself, you know, am I willing to see people through God's eyes? Am I willing to see other people through the eyes of my father? Am I willing to ask him to show me what he sees? Am I willing to walk around in the world with my eyes wide open? You know, one of the things, if you follow Jesus around, if you read the Gospels and you kind of follow Jesus around, one of the things you'll see, Jesus always had his eyes open. He saw the leper. He saw the blind man. He saw the children. The disciples are like, you know what? Get these kids out of here. Send them away. Jesus is like, no, let them come here. Let me give them a hug. Uh, the disciples are like, wow, all these people are hungry. Send them home to get something to eat. Jesus is like, no, you feed them. Jesus walked around. His eyes were wide open. He saw the needs of people. Uh, do I see that, that social compassion and evangelism are two sides of the same coin? You remember what Jesus said? He said, be rich in good deeds, you know, so that everybody can see them and then praise your Father in heaven. Social action and evangelism are not, you know, for the liberals and the conservatives. They're together. They're two sides of the same coin. Jesus moved about healing and teaching and loving people and always sharing the truth with them. So wherever Jesus went, he saw people. But seeing wasn't enough. Jesus also went around with his heart wide open. And with his heart open, compassion would flood into his being. He had his heart open. His eyes were open. His heart was open. And uh, he would uh, have compassion on people. Again, as the disciples would say, send them away. Jesus would say, no, bring them here. And not only was his heart open, but then that opened up his hands. And he was moving to heal people. He was moving to touch people. He was moving to feed people. He was moving to, you know, uh, always doing. Jesus said, remember what Jesus said? He said, what would you like me to do for you? How many people do you know that go around in the world and say, what would you like me to do for you? Us pastors, we're like, you know, here's what you could do for me. Here's, we have so many needs, you know, and we move around sometimes saying, here's what you could do for me. Instead of thinking, well, here's what would you like me to do for you? That's how Jesus moved. His hands were open. His heart was open. His eyes were open. Then finally, I would say, Jesus' mouth was open. He was always wanting an occasion to praise his Father. He was always looking for a way, you know, to share the truth. Whenever he would encounter something that was false, he couldn't just sit there. He couldn't just say, oh, well, too bad for you. You believe a lie. No. His mouth was open, and he was always a champion for the truth. And so if we ask the question, how can I develop a heart 
That's a heart of compassion. Am I willing to move around in my world uh, and, and with my eyes open see people who need our compassion, need the compassion of God? And with our uh, hearts open and our hands open and our mouths open in order that we might be people like God. God has called us to be his sons and daughters. When Jesus was here, he said, I'm the light of the world. But when he left, he said, I'm leaving. You now are the light of the world. And we live in a world that's getting increasingly dark. And uh, yes, there, you know, economic poverty is one thing, but uh, social poverty, emotional poverty, spiritual poverty, it's all around us. It's all around us. Are we willing to be like God calls us to be, like himself? Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we recognize that you're a compassionate, grace-filled God. And we recognize that we're the beneficiaries, Father, of that grace and compassion. We confess to you, Father, that we are the poorest of the poor if we ever had to stand before your justice on our own. We're totally dependent on somebody reaching down and lifting us up. And we're so thankful, Father, on this communion Sunday to be reminded of the sacrifice that it took. And so, Father, with that being the core of our identity, I pray that your spirit might have freedom to push us in order that we too might desire to be like you and move about in the world like Jesus moved about and that we would be people who are quick to give grace, who are quick to give compassion, who are slow, Father, to be angry and who are abounding in the love that we've received. May we be given to life-giving living even as we've received from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.